The Angie's List you know and trust is now Angie, and we're so much more than just a list. We still connect you with top local pros and show you ratings and reviews, but now we also let you compare upfront prices on hundreds of projects and book a service instantly. We can even handle the rest of your project from start to finish. So remember, Angie's List is now Angie, and we're here to get your job done right. Get started at Angie.com. That's A-N-G-I, or download the app today. Getting the smile and confidence you've been dreaming about all from the comfort of your home isn't a total mystery with Bite Clear Aligners. Just don't be surprised if all your friends start asking, what's your secret? Begin by ordering your at-home impression kit today for only $14.95. Bite Clear Aligners are doctor-directed and delivered to your door. Treatment costs thousands less than braces, plus they offer flexible financing, accept eligible insurance, and you can pay with your HSA FSA. Get 80% off your impression kit when you use code WONDERY at Byte.com. That's B-Y-T-E dot Start your confidence journey today with Byte. Delve into the shadows of the mind with Sleeping Dogs, a gripping murder mystery starring Academy Award winner Russell Crowe. Now available on digital. Crowe portrays an ex-homicide detective unraveling a brutal murder he can't recall. Uncovering secrets from his past, he learns a chilling truth. It's best to let sleeping dogs lie. Visit sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery to watch Sleeping Dogs, now on digital. That's sleepingdogsmovie.com slash Wondery. Welcome to the science of success. Introducing your host, Matt Bodner. Welcome to the Science of Success, the number one evidence-based growth podcast on the internet, with now more than a million downloads and listeners in over a hundred countries. In this episode, we ask, do you have to be ruthless to succeed? We examine how compassion is powerfully linked with success. We discuss the essential task of challenging your own worldview and seeking evidence that you disagree with. We learn how to ask great questions and much more with Dr. Chris Cook. I'm going to give you three reasons why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right on the homepage. The first, we send out a curated weekly email every single week to our listeners called Mindset Monday. Listeners have been loving this email. We get tons of great feedback. It's short, simple, and has some really interesting stuff that we've been digging for the last week. Second, you get the chance to shape the show. You can vote on guests. You can help us change uh, parts of the show. For example, the new intro that we rolled out last week is was voted on by listeners like you. So make sure you get on the list if you want to have a chance to impact and change the direction of the show. We reach out all the time and ask for your feedback and ideas. Lastly, and most importantly, you'll get an awesome free guide if you join our email list, and it's something we created based on listener demand. It's our most popular free guide, and it's called How to Organize and Remember Everything. You can get it completely for free, along with another awesome bonus guide, which is secret, but when you sign up, you'll find out what it is, and I know you're going to like it, by joining the email list. Once again, you can go to successpodcast.com, you can sign up right on the homepage, or If you're on your phone, you can text the word SMARTER to the number 44222. That's S-M-A-R-T-E-R to the number 44222. In our previous episode, we discussed habit loops, 
how they form, and what they are. And we looked at why you can't stop picking up your phone. We talked about the habits and routines that research shows are the most correlated with success. We looked at how to bake mental models into your brain and much more with Charles Duhigg. If you want to break your phone addiction, listen to that episode. Now for the interview. Today, we have another amazing guest who has the honor of being the very first guest to do a return interview on the science of success, Dr. Chris Cook. Chris is a former counterintelligence agent, now a professor of political science at Western Connecticut State University. He's the founding director of the Center for Compassion, Creativity, and Innovation, and he's the author of the newly released book, The Compassionate Achiever. He's been featured in NPR, NBC, The Economist, and much more. Chris, welcome back to The Science of Success. Wow, Matt, thanks for having me on again. And the first guest, that, that's a true honor. I mean, I love your, love your show, so thank you for having me back on. Well, we're very excited to have you back and, and to share some new wisdom. So for listeners who, you know, haven't, haven't been following what you're up to lately, what have you been doing since we last chatted? Oh, man. Everything from uh, working and getting the Dalai Lama back to, to campus for, for students and outreach to schools on social emotional learning. Just came back, uh, a tough gig in Hawaii, working with schools out there on getting kids to have their lessons really in math and science woven with social and emotional learning so that kids this idea of looking out for others becomes a, kind of a natural habit, what they were born with. You know, they, babies are not, uh, you know, looking to take someone else down, right? They're, everyone's looking to cooperate. And we learn, like Jean-Jacques Rousseau said, we learn kind of these bad habits through society of looking out for ourselves and not caring about others. And it's getting the kids, the kids, once they understand that, you know, looking out for others is part of being a human, you know, part of being part of humanity, they they literally flow right into it and they bring it home to their parents. So we had uh, talks with parents about what we're doing in school and the parents were are so excited about it. So, you know, there's this emphasis now, I think, back on the, the schools and, and parents who are involved in schools of getting kids back into a community, not not focused on just testing. And, you know, that's what we've been focused on in the last decade or, or more is kids and testing. And we should be talking about kids and being a part of communities. And that's what we're uh, doing lately. So tell me more about that. What what exactly is social and emotional learning? Social emotional learning, the shorthand of it is really having self-awareness about yourself and how you feel about uh, a certain situation and how your emotions, what your emotions are when they, when they first come up about a, a certain situation, and then having awareness about other people's perspective on their emotions and their feelings. And I'm working with that together. It really, it's think about it at, the way I think about it is I played a lot of sports in high school and, and through college. And it's, it's about getting a team moving forward. And you know, when you're, you're part of a, a community or part of a team, you can do more when everyone's working together. It's even part of what I went through in the service as a counterintelligence agent. You know, the, the best squads in, in counterintel were the ones that even if the people didn't personally like one another, you know, they just thought, you know, I don't know, back in my day, you were either a Dallas Cowboy fan or a Pittsburgh Steeler fan. And it's getting those two teams and two fan bases together to work together. And in the military, even if you didn't like someone, you always had their back. You always helped them through things. And it's getting that idea like, okay, kids nowadays, I guess let's go Yankees, Red Sox. One's a Yankees 
uh, fan, another Red Sox fan. They may not personally get along uh, in terms of uh, baseball, but when they're in a classroom, you know, they're looking out for each other or they're looking to say, you know, someone's down and giving them, you know, a high five or check, checking in on them, see what's up with them. You know, is there anything they can do to help? And it's building that community, that's that sense of trust. And we know that when it starts on the local level, on the very individual to individual level, it tends to spread. It becomes a contagion, just like negativity is a contagion. Positivity is a contagion uh, as well. And if we can get kids to do it, also parents do it. And that's what we're finding out. It just spreads from literally from the bottom up. And now teachers are getting involved in it because they're seeing this kids are in a classroom that's full of compassion. Their scores go up. And it's, it, it may not be rocket science, but it's definitely brain science, right? When, when you're in a compassionate environment, dopamine starts to flow. You get this reward chemical. And as neuroscience has shown, dopamine acts like a post-it note for memory. So kids are starting to memorize better. They're starting to learn, learn more and retain more. And so there's this cool circle, this 360-degree circle, all starting with, with compassion about learning and about succeeding. And, and to me, that's, that's just going to create a better world all the way around. The I love how you started that with the concept of personal awareness and, and how important that is. That to me is is a recurring theme that we see again and again on the show, which is being self-aware and, and figuring out, you know, what am I feeling emotionally? Where am I right now is really the first step to unlocking so much more. It, it is. And I think we are in such we're in a time where everyone wants to move fast and we're in a moment in history where we're talking about globalization, right? And global connections, but there is a paradox in there where we're connecting globally, but we're not connecting locally. We're not connecting individually to each other. And what I mean by that is that, yeah, we can contact, you know, France or the mighty country of Estonia through Skype. It's the country where Skype actually came from was Estonia. And we can communicate with people out there, but when we're talking to each other, how many times do you see people taking out their cell phones and looking at their cell phones instead of looking eye to eye into someone, so to someone else, right? We, we forgot the importance of looking into the windows of the soul. And, and that's, that's another person's eyes. And you can read so much and learn so much from someone just by looking at them while you're talking. And we're in such a rush lately in, in terms of individuals that we've, we're missing each other. We're, we're, we're creating that kind of, you know, when you're on a train and the train's going by places really fast, everything's like a blur. That's what we're doing to each other. We're creating blurs. And we wonder why our society is weakening and civil society is, is kind of crumbling. And it, it's, I don't think it's complicated. It may be complex, but it's not complicated. And I think we just need to realize that the time we take with each other and with ourselves, right? You and I talked about this before. We both meditate. And when I meditate in the morning, I swear everything for the rest of the day is, is everything. It's like when you're hitting a baseball and you're on, everything's in slow motion. You catch, you catch more than you miss. And when I don't meditate, I miss more than I catch. And I think we, we've been doing that with each other as well. You talked about, and I think some of this stems from from your your military work, from the work you've done in schools, 
the importance of, of looking out for each other and building trust. And I know we, we touched on this briefly in our, in our previous conversation as well, but tell me about how that interacts with, with people who think about the world from the framework of survival of the fittest and, and how, you know, are those ideas mutually supporting or are they opposed? Oh man, that's a great question, Matt, because, okay, first off, let's clear up a, a misconception about survival of the fittest. And when we normally talk about survival of the fittest, we get, we think in Cliff Notes version of Charles Darwin, right? And on an origin species. Um, and that's where he hypothesized something like survival of the fittest, but he never coined the term survival of the fittest. It was a guy named Spencer that, that, that did. And what you find out with survival of the fittest, when you actually read it, Darwin and, and you go through the descent of man, for example, which is later on after he, he's done a lot of his research, you find out that Darwin says that the species that will move up the evolutionary ladder the most efficiently and the most effectively is the species that has the highest number of its members. And this is his word that are sympathetic to each other. And sympathy, Paul Ackman has found out, you know, by going through a lot of the research as well, is that he means altruism, he means compassion, he means empathy and different passages of the descent of man. And so he, he uses the synonym sympathy for those three other words. And when we think survival of the fittest, we think, you know, you, it's like the playground scenario uh, when kids play king of the hill. You know, they have to push down someone else in order to get on top. It's a it's a zero sum game. Right. If one person wins, that means another person has to lose. And that's our kind of shorthand of survival of the fittest as a society. And that's not what Darwin was ever talking about. Darwin was talking about how people helping one another will actually move that species, that community along and move it forward. And, you know, when you talk about economics, because people think, you know, when you talk about compassion, it's supposed to be weak, it's supposed to be soft. And it's that's so backwards, right? And just as an example, water, which is considered soft, can cut through rock, which is considered hard. So if you have this image of being kind as soft and weak, you have already started losing ground in whatever you think you want to achieve. And, and that's the one thing I, I want to kind of get across. But Paul Zak in economics, you know, where compassion is supposed to have no impact, whatever, right? And trust is not supposed to have really that much impact at, at all. Paul Zak shows in, in his work, and he's a, he calls himself a neuroeconomist, and he writes some great stuff, a book called like The Moral Molecule. He shows that communities that have high levels of trust, and he takes it back um, to even measuring oxy. Uh, tocin in the blood and compassion when you think in a compassionate way you actually increase oxytocin those communities that have a high level of oxytocin create that trust and it's a, a kind of a it, it feeds in on itself trust and oxytocin once you start to get it going it just it builds up more and more and those societies that have the greatest and communities that have the greatest levels of trust also have the strongest economies because everyone can trust, you know, the contracts are not written necessarily on paper. They're written 
literally in blood through the oxytocin. And people can help each other move forward more efficiently and effectively when you have that trust. If you think you need a contract every single time you need to do something, you're gonna slow things down, aren't you? It's you're gonna slow down because you need to do the bureaucratic paperwork that needs to be done to guarantee that you need to move forward. And, and Matt, I remember when a handshake accounted for everything. And now we have to have lawyers looking over many different things and and people looking for, you know, the one I that isn't dotted or the one T that isn't crossed. That's up to us to bring that handshake back to each other and to create that positivity and that level of trust and that level of trust, the byproduct. It's not the purpose that you do it, but the byproduct is success. So tell me more about that. Tell me about the idea that compassion is not soft or weak and specifically about the link between compassion and success. Oh man, it's so much there. And that's what the book's about. And the compassion achiever is literally about that link. And it starts, let me give an example of what I mean by that, that first off, the compassion trust angle, if you're part of a community and all of us are, and you build and it starts with one person. It's that I call it a ripple effect on other people have, have used ripple effect. Mother Teresa has, has called the ripple of kindness and moving forward and how that engulfs other people and moves everyone forward. And then it creates that trust, right? Which then creates that strength. But it's more than that because in the service, in high school sports, I was told, you know, cook, you have to be ruthless in order to succeed. And I noticed that not just in sports, but in economics and, and in other fields that work jerks or people who really just focus about themselves, they may gain some success. And I'm not saying that they're not going to win certain battles. They will. And that, that's what happens. But their success in terms of the people who are selfish and self-interested exclusively will flame out. It's not sustainable success because, Matt, we all fall. We all inevitably fail at some times. And even when we're on a roll, there are things that don't work out. But when we fall and you've been compassionate and you've been helping other people, what I find out is that a lot of the people around you won't let you fall all the way to the ground. Or if, they, or if you do, they're there to pick you up immediately, not to stay down. And we fail to give that, I think, enough credence and enough credit. We kind of, you, you think you have to achieve a certain level and then, you know, you've done it and it's over. I think true achievement in, includes the word sustainability, that you have to have sustained success because anybody, any jerk <laughs> can attain a certain level of success. I think the real achievers are the ones who sustain success across a long period. And, and just as an example, look at Enron, right? Enron was a company that was focused on its exclusively its bottom line. So it drove electricity into the ground so it could drive its profits up. And it was supposed to be the model, you know, great reporters and political economists, they were using Enron as an example of a successful company. Enron is no longer in existence, but you have businesses like Patagonia 
who are out in the community, making their communities better, giving back to the communities who have a much, not I would argue greater level of success, but also a more sustainable level of success. And so when you have that, that idea of compassion moving forward as your main goal, it's an intrinsic motive. And we know through psychology studies, we know through neuroscience, right? That if your focus is extrinsic, that means that you're looking for material gain. You're looking for uh, monetary gain. You're looking for a promotion. It's an extrinsic value. It's something outside you that you may get it, but it's not, you're not going to keep it for long. And the intrinsic values like patriotism, like compassion, as you move through life and those are your values, those are your motivating, you know, I call them motivating verbs, then your byproduct is sustainable success. And it, it just, as you keep, you can go through any field, we just did business, but over and over again, you, you see that. And it's not the superstars in uh, this, you know, the individual superstars who are an NBA team, it's the teams that usually win NBA championships. And it's just from sports to businesses across the board where you think compassion doesn't matter. Academics, compassion matters. It matters for sustainable success. That's such a great point and, and something we've dug into previously on the show, especially when we had uh, Dr. Keltner on here to talk about the science of power. And, and so much research validates this idea that people who achieve and maintain power are often people who are the most compassionate, the most emotionally intelligent. They're not these sort of uh, caricatures of ruthless leaders. Now, you know, occasionally and recently, especially that can happen, but to, to yes. have it truly be sustainable, it has to be driven from a place of compassion. I, without a doubt. And in, in Keltner's work and the greater good, I mean, they do some great studies there. And I, I cite some of their work actually in the book and the power of paradox. I actually bought, I haven't read it yet, but I have it on my bookshelf uh, to be read. So yeah, I, I think the science shows it more and more, Matt. And I think your show also highlights in many different ways and many different perspectives, that angle. And, and my book simply brings together a lot of those different angles and puts them into one perspective. And as the compassionate achiever. And if we all were compassionate achievers, I think we'd have a society that would would be unstoppable in terms of success and achievement at all levels. I'm talking local, state, national level. And we have some states moving forward on that, like solving homelessness. You turn on some cable uh, TV stations and, you know, they characterize the homeless as being lazy, as being weak as being non-caring and it's so not the case and from everything from families who went bankrupt because of med medical issues to individuals having mental issues that simply just need to have some type of help and you have states like utah who are you know bringing the homeless down to a zero number pretty close to a zero number as you can possibly get by actually building homes for the homeless. So they have an address. So when they apply for a job, you know, they, they can actually put an address down and, and then get a job. There's this weird tough circle to get into that you can't have a job unless you have an address and they can check on, on you by, um, when they, they do the interviews to send mail to and homeless you know, don't have that option. Um, so you have Utah really making a big change and successfully. And, and if you're just focused on the, the extrinsic value of the bottom line, well, Utah has shown over the last 10 years, now it's a little bit over that now, actually it's been 12 years, 
um, that they've been saving $8,000 per person on that. So the bottom line, they've been spending less on homeless by actually giving them a home to start with. And Hawaii is now right moving forward and allowing medical doctors to prescribe homes to the chronically homeless there in Hawaii. And it's a, a more compassionate angle rather than trying to sweep the homeless under the rug, trying to help the homeless, our fellow Americans to kind of move on up. Our fellow, from my case, fellow veterans who come back from war and have a hard time adjusting, to have compassion for them. These are our, these are our fellow citizens. And in some cases, many cases, fellow warriors who want to battle for this country. And instead of turning our backs or, or, or making pretend the problem doesn't exist, we are having states show that you can actually save money by being more compassionate. To, to others. It's just across the across the world and across categories, Matt, being compassionate achieves levels of success that you didn't think you could achieve before. I think that's an incredible point. I love the, the, the idea of looking not just at, you know, personal development, but looking at across public policy, business, all these different spheres. The There's many different examples of how kindness can not only be great for you, but also great for, as you said, sort of the bottom line. Yes. Yeah. And the bottom line isn't just the money. It's I would also argue the bottom line is our civil society. Right. Because a great democracy rests on the foundation of a strong civil society. And when you weaken that, I don't care if you're the president. I don't care if you're a member of Congress. I don't care if you're a local citizen going to your town hall meeting. You all we all have the ability to make our country, our town, our states stronger just by looking out for one another. And when we start putting down one another for whatever reasons and not helping one another, we take down our own democracy. It's by the people, it's for the people, and it's of the people. And if we, we lose sight of that, we will lose what I would argue is the greatest democracy the world has ever seen. And it will not be because of one person, it's because we, the American people, didn't care enough about each other, let each other down, about how we should either stand up for each other or are we going to stay silent um, when it comes to how, when other people are pushed down or pushed away even. So how do we cultivate compassion and build a more compassionate world? <laughs> Wow. Okay. I think there's a lot of different ways that, that you can do this. And, you know, and you, you and I talked about this before, Matt, uh, we meditate, I, I, I do compassion meditation, but for some people, you know, meditation is, doesn't to be happen to be their thing. Right. So I kind of, I came up with a four step program that anybody can do at any time. And it's not something that's outside of any kind of traditional realm that, or, uh, conventional realm that that society thinks it is. I am looking just to have practices that anyone can follow. For example, the first step is listen. And before we get into the steps, actually, I should say, think of the name Luca, L-U-C-A. And Luca in many different languages is a name that means bringer of light. It also stands for in science, in uh, various <laughs> subjects in science, it stands for the last universal 
common ancestor, Luca. And I argue that compassion is that kind of last universal common virtue, it value, or in my case, I, I believe it's a verb, the last verb that we all can tie on to to achieve success. So Luca, the first part of it stands for listening, listening to learn. And the reason I think this is a big, a big important first step. So if someone asked me, what can you do? What's the first thing you should do you know, to build more compassion? And I, I'd say, listen, because we don't listen anymore, right? We, we seem to, we seem to, if we do listen, we listen to reply. We don't listen to learn. We don't listen to learn about someone's, you know, issues or problems. We don't listen to the words they're saying. We tend to jump in and interrupt each other rather than getting the full lesson from hearing taking the time to really listen, to give a focused attention to someone else. And I think if we listen to learn, we can then acquire an understanding of not just the person's problem, but of the person's perspective. And that's where that social emotional learning comes back in, right? It's not only your own self-awareness, but it's the awareness about how other people are feeling. And if you don't listen, you're never gonna get to that, that level of understanding because Compassion is, is defined really by kind of two aspects. Compassion is defined as this 360 degree kind of holistic understanding of a problem or suffering of another. And then the second aspect of it is then you take action. You have a commitment to, to, to do something to help that person to address the issue that they're going through. And listening is that first part, right? It's about that taking that, that, you're trying to go for that understanding of, of another. And we don't do that anymore. So listening to learn. And then the second step is understanding to know, which is a key aspect of compassion, right? So you're understanding what you need to know in order to help them, right? And, and if you don't listen, I don't know how you're going to get to that understanding to know. And so you're, you're trying to gather as many different pieces of information as you can. And I see it as creating a mosaic of a problem, right? And you're putting together pieces as you're listening and an image and a picture comes to mind of what the actual under, the problem is and how the person is seeing it. And so you're getting, the, the, the way I, I describe it is the way you're seeing it is through their eyes. So you're seeing the mosaic through their colors, all right? Their, their emotions, their feelings. So listening to learn, understanding to know, and then the third is C, connect to capabilities. Uh, sometimes you have the ability to help someone and to address their issue. And at other times, you need to connect them to other people or other organizations. Uh, for example, I had uh, a young man who was an Iraq, Afghan, a veteran who was just having a time that I hope no one ever has to go through where he was losing his wife, he was losing his uh, daughter, both to either car accident or medical issues. And he was trying to finish school and he couldn't. And he, I knew I was his last, he came to me as his kind of a last cry for help, just so someone would listen. But I knew that his problems were bigger than what I could handle. So I had to get him to the counseling center. I had to connect him to someone who had the capabilities to truly help him. And, you know, he trusted me enough so that I could walk him over there. That, and now he's he's graduated, his wife is fine, his child is fine, they were there for graduation, and he has his own business. 
those are the stories that we see, you know, through daily life that get swept away. But those are the stories and those are the people who make a difference in the world because they've been down. But then I, we all have that potential to connect people that are going through tough times to connect them to others that can really help them. So connect to capabilities. And finally, you know, you know you're, you're acting to solve. You're actually taking the steps. You're not just understanding. You're not just listening. But you are making those connections if you need to make those connections. You're taking action to make that that solution go away. Um, I mean, that solution to happen. Sorry, the problem to go away. And that that that's basically the four steps. And I go over different ways that you can do that. For example, listening. Listening, to, I, I bring up podcasts. And bringing up podcasts that actually challenge your notion and actually sitting through a podcast that maybe you disagree with, but listening to the whole argument, not shutting it off, not walking away. It's simple things like that that you can that we all can do and practice and build our compassion muscle, I call it. I want to dig into to several of these, but before we do, the, the last point you made is, is something that I think is so relevant and has been very, very top of mind for me, you, you know, with the, the way that the internet has evolved and the way that, that our society has changed in the last 10 years, everyone lives in a, a bubble where all of the information that they get is curated to tell them what they want to hear and to make them feel how they want to feel. When, if you, if you really want to understand reality, if you want to get down to the kernel of truth of what's actually happening, if you want to cultivate a deeper understanding of the world, you have to seek out disconfirming evidence. And, you know, we were talking about Charles Darwin earlier. This is one of the main, the, one of the core tenets and premises of, of all of Darwin's work, which is the idea that you have to seek information that challenges what, what your perception of the world is. You have to listen to people who disagree with you. You have to go and find information from all kinds of different sources and really try to uncover, okay, what's true? What's false? What, how much of this is spin? And I think it's so important to to do that in our world today. And too many people live in a silo where they're only ever comforted by their self-selected pool of information. So I absolutely love that advice that we need to find things you disagree with and, and really challenge challenge our own worldviews. Yeah, and I, I think it even goes Yes, without a doubt. And then, but I also think it goes further than that. I think that a lot of people, I know that you, you do this, Matt, because we've had this offline discussion before too, that, that those, those challenging bits of information are not the Jenga pieces in your ideology or your philosophy. Matter of fact, they're, they turn out to be quite often new structural beams in, in your philosophical house, if you will. Right. So this idea that I, I start the book with Darwin, basically, that the critics, when I was first giving public talks about compassion, would always bring that up. And I decided, you know what, I'm going to read all of Darwin. I'm just going to get all the books. I got them electronically. I got them in hard copy. And I'm just going to sit down and take notes and and learn from the great master himself, uh, rather than reading interpretations of him. And I think this is the other thing. We get news through an interpreted lens, right? It's it's not our own lens. And I think we need to go back to the classics. And we, we need to read the the original documents from what they're what, what they are. And I, I would argue that with the Constitution as well. Not just science related. But then for me, Darwin has turned out to be a pillar of support for compassion, not the Jenga piece in my house of compassion. 
that I thought it was initially. And so, you know, I, my critics were, were spot on. And I learned so much from the people who gave me true criticism of it. And it helped me to dive deeper into the science of it all and to really understand what Darwin meant by the fittest, right? He didn't mean by someone pounding someone else down. He meant that they are fit for one another, that they fit together, right? That it's a totally different way of looking at it. And if I didn't listen to the critics who gave some, you know, spot on points, I don't think I would have taken as much time and gathered all the books that I could possibly get and sit down and go over it. And I think you're, you're, you're right on Matt. We don't do that enough. And I think, you know, in, in my classes, when I teach, for example, political economy for a week, I'm a mercantilist because I want my students to know the best of mercantilism. Another week, I'm a classical economic liberal. Not liberal the way Americans define it. Liberal is the way the rest of the world defines it. That's someone who's for free trade, right? And then, and then as funny as it is, and the students sometimes don't remember my life as a counterintelligence agent during the Cold War, but for a week, a former counterintelligence agent becomes a true Marxist, right? To give them a sense of what the Marxists thought about economics. Because I think we, every idea has its strengths and weaknesses, and, including mine, including the compassionate achiever. And I think we learn from each other by having these discussions. What's weak? What's strong? Can I, can I improve on something or is something so bad that I missed something that, you know, maybe when I read a scientific study, you know, someone said, you know, you missed this part of it. We can build each other up. What I mean about being compassion is that you're not a Pollyanna. In Buddhism, there's this phrase called fierce compassion. <laughs> and I love that idea because I think a compassionate achiever has that fierce compassion. You are not a pushover. You're not a doormat for anyone else when you have compassion. Remember that water cutting through rock idea because that's what I certainly remember. You can achieve more by being compassionate to others. And that achievement builds strength, not just in you. And we know it through the neuroscience and the, the various types of blood works that everyone from Dr. Tanya Singer to Paul Zak to Dak Kettner have all proven. But we have yet to talk about it like we are talking about it, Matt, in a popular kind of social science way that everyone can understand. It's been hidden by science. And one of the things I love about your show that you constantly do week in and week out is you bring science to the light of society so that everyone can understand what the heck's going on in recent research. And that's what I tried to do with this book so that everyone could see that the science is there to support that compassion is about strength. It's not about weakness. That survival of the fittest is about how we fit together, not how we divide one another. And if we can get that message through and show the benefits of that, I think that we can right the ship <laughs> uh, that, that's going on right now in the world in terms of, you know, having to look past one another or not acknowledge that there are issues like homelessness that need to be addressed and that, you know, everything from education to healthcare to, to business. And, and so I, I think there's, there's more to it. And, and, and then this uh, basic achievement, I think it's, it, it swells to a wave of, you know, this tidal wave of success that lifts all boats together. And it's not a dream. 
It's actually proven from Darwin on up. CarMax is putting peace of mind back in car shopping by putting you in the driver's seat to find a ride that's right for you. Because at CarMax, we believe you shouldn't just settle for a car. You should love your car. That's why every car we sell is CarMax certified quality so you can be sure with upfront pricing that's the same for every customer. So don't settle. Find love at first drive and start shopping now at CarMax.com. CarMax, the way car buying should be. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Okay, picture this. It's Friday afternoon when a thought hits you. I can spend another weekend doing the same old whatever, or I can hop into my all-new Hyundai Santa Fe and hit the road. With available H-Track all-wheel drive and three-row seating, my whole family can head deep into the wild. Conquer the weekend in the all-new Hyundai Santa Fe. Visit HyundaiUSA.com or call 562-314-4603 for more details. Hyundai, there's joy in every journey. Hiring the right person takes time. Time that you often don't have. But you shouldn't let a time crunch get in the way of finding the right candidates for your business. That's why LinkedIn is the best place to post your job. In fact, I was on LinkedIn Jobs this morning looking for candidates to fill a key role in one of my businesses. LinkedIn Jobs screens candidates with hard and soft skills you're looking for so that you can hire the right person quickly. You can look for things like collaboration, creativity, and adaptability, looking beyond just work skills and resumes to connect you with the candidates who are a perfect match for your business. That's how LinkedIn makes sure that your job post gets in front of the people you actually want to hire because they have a much better ability to get a deep insight into exactly who is the right candidate for you and your business. Find the right person meant for your business today with LinkedIn Jobs. You can pay what you want, and the first $50 is on them. Just visit linkedin.com slash success. Again, that's linkedin.com slash success to get $50 off your first job post. Terms and conditions apply. And I think the idea that, that, you know, feedback makes you stronger. And if your ideas, if you're scared of, of pursuing or looking at ideas that you don't agree with because you think you might be wrong, you need to encounter those ideas so that you can find the truth, right? Ideology fears the truth and doesn't want to discuss it, doesn't want to look at the evidence, only wants to believe what it believes. Wisdom seeks the truth, right? Wisdom tries to find out what are the best ideas, regardless of what I think the best ideas should be. What does the data actually bear out as the best ideas? What what are the what does the research show us or the true things that we need to really understand and focus on? And and I think that quest for all tr- all evidence, right? Whether you like it or not, whether you want it to be true or not, and really trying to understand the truth is is so important. Oh man, yes, it is, and and that's the thing. That's I call I call people like that, and and this definitely comes from my 
how should I say it, addiction, affliction to Dr. Seuss books. I call them no-nots, K-N-O-W-N-A-U-T-S, knowledge astronauts, right? Because I think you're willing to dive into the universe of knowledge, no matter where that 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 starship that you're on takes you, right? That you're willing to go to the, to the wide spectrum, the, the furthest universe of knowledge that you possibly can and grab all of that together. And that excites you, right? And, and the idea that, that there are quote unquote alternative facts muddies the water so much and dilutes this idea of wisdom in, in ways that, you know, just hurt not only individuals, but I think our, our country. And when you can, when you see the, the facts that are out there and, and you're going for wisdom, one of the things that y- you really see is I'm a big fan of complexity science, right? To show the, the different connections between what happens in, you know, it's like the butterfly effect, the butterfly's wings um, flap somewhere and they have effects somewhere else, showing those connections right? Between different things. When you have the facts and you slide them in and, and we've learned, you know, new facts and quantum physics has given us even more new, new facts that are what Einstein called weird, but are true that they connect dots between things that we thought weren't connected. And as we move forward in terms of science, in terms of knowledge, and more importantly, I think what you brought up is in terms of wisdom you see that more and more things connect to each other that we never thought connected. And this idea of compassion is based on connections. It's based on human connections. And I would argue even further, it's based on more than that. You know, we know that psychopaths and serial murderers start killing animals before they start killing fellow human beings. So how you connect with the world around you, I think will also not just, tell everyone what type of person you are, but also will either limit or make your success limitless just by how you connect and how you understand those connections, how you act on those connections. And I, I don't think we think about that enough. And once you sit down and kind of look at the, the wisdom that, that's gathering storm and, and that's, that's moving forward, it is about connecting the dots. And it's sitting back and seeing how those different connections work. So, yeah, I, I think I think that knowledge is crucial. But how you use the knowledge and how you connect the knowledge, that either creates understanding or it creates misunderstanding, which then leads you on the path towards wisdom or further away from wisdom. Let's let's circle back, and I, I want to dig into some of the specific strategies within your 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 framework for cultivating compassion. One of the one of the components of of listening to learn is is asking great questions. Tell me about that. How do we ask great questions? Oh man, there's many different ways, and in the book, I kind of go uh, into uh, one way. I, I I see great questions, and I write about this as a great question is like a great photograph, because a great question can bring out the essence of not just the problem but of the person experiencing the problem. And it's kind of like a, a light bulb moment for, for some people when you ask the question, because you're not giving them the answer, you're asking them a question, and it's like an E.E. E. Cummings point, right? It's not about getting to the answer, it's about asking better questions. And when you ask a great question or a better question, the person going through the problem 
actually comes up with the solution themselves and it's empowering to them, right? Because you're not looking to empower yourself necessarily. You're, you're looking to empower them to help them get through their problem as well. And so a great question, I see it as the lens of a camera, right? It's that aperture. How open or closed is the aperture when you take the picture matters and how clear that image is or how murky that can be or if it's if it's smudged you know, if it's light and it's smudged. Uh, so the aperture makes all the difference in terms of what you see. And I think a great question, whether it's open or closed, will also give you that same type of benefit. It's going to show you what you can see by simply the question you ask. For example, a closed question is one that has a very short answer. It's a yes or no, or I don't know, right? It's a very tight, closed way of answering it. It's, it's short. An open question is a question that is literally limitless. It's wide open that a person can answer it in many different ways. There's not one way to do it. And, and in classes, I try to start off the first part of every semester getting to open and close questions. So I'll have a statement up on the board, a very short statement, and then I'll have students write a question uh, usually a closed question and start them off with closed questions. And so they'll write the closed questions and I give them five minutes to do it, working with partners. And then I'll have them then change those closed questions to open questions. And to hear, hear them go through that process is awesome because like, wait a minute, that the way they see that statement changes dramatically between a yes and no question to one that can be um, a why question or a how question. And I want them to understand that the words that they use frames the way they see a problem. And questions do that to everyone. And I think some of my greatest teachers that I had from grammar school all the way through college did that instinctively. And I wanted to harness that in a chapter in the book because I, I think we don't give the due diligence to the words we use and the questions we ask. And I give this example in the book when how you and when you use words matters to people and it matters from their perspective. So for example, if you're counseling a, a couple going through marriage and you ask them the word, oh, what triggered, what do you think triggered, you know, the experience that, that kind of set you apart and drifted you off is very different than asking a parent who lost somebody, and we just had another example of a school shooting lately. What do you think triggered the shooters? It, you can't, you, just using that word takes the person you're trying to help away from any help, right? They're, they have an emotional reaction simply to the words that you, you, that you were using. And you shut down any chance of success of moving them forward at least for the uh, temporary time being, maybe for a long time. And I, I think we have to take, take note of that in the context that we're in and, and learn how to connect with, with people through great questions. And I think those great questions, I call them uh, brooms and light bulbs, right? Because they can sweep away problems and they can give aha moments to the people that you're asking. And so great questions to me are as simple as open and closed questions. And it's a dance, Matt. It's, you just don't, you know, I, I went through a psychology course in college that gave me the funnel. You start with open questions and you end with closed questions. And that's the way you do it. And it's so formulaic. 
I was like, that can't, it just can't be right. It just sat wrong with me. And, you know, going through counterintelligence, working on Wall Street, you know, being a professor, it's, it's a dance. Knowledge, wisdom is a dance. And sometimes you, you, you do open with open questions and close, but it's not that formulaic because you're listening to the person that you're questioning towards. And sometimes you can read their body language. Maybe they're struggling because they don't want to open up because it's going to, for them, they think it's going to lead to the wrong roads. So then you have to adjust your way of questioning by the responses that you're getting. And it's not a formula. It's not the funnel way that I learned in psychology 101, right? It's, it's more of a dance. And, and, and I think if you see it as a dance, you're going to get further uh, through the song of life if you do, because, man, people open up in ways that make you feel stronger uh, as well. So those open and closed questions are like photographs, because I think for the moment that you both are in, you can either get the essence or turn it into a giant blur and move on. And I think the more we blur each other, the more we hurt each other, the more we weaken our chances of achieving success in whatever level that you think you you want to achieve. Another strategy you talk about is, is the idea of appreciating silence. Tell me a little bit about that. Yeah, I think we try to fill the gaps in on each other. We, you can read body language about silence. A lot of people need time to simply gather their thoughts. And people tend to fill in their in the silence gap because it's considered awkward. And it kind of goes back to the point that you were bringing back up too and highlighting, Matt, about criticism. Criticism, some people think you have to defend against all criticism. And one of the points that I think you were bringing out and highlighting is that you can absorb that criticism and it makes you stronger. It's the same thing with silence. People want to avoid silence. They think that awkwardness creates a sense of weakness. And a lot of times that silence generates new answers. It generates new answers, not just in what the person will eventually say, but also in their body language. And we don't look at each other enough. And we started started the show by, by talking about that, by looking and gathering all the pieces of information that you can gather. And some of those are in body language how a person looks, which way they look. Are they twi- twitch, twiddling their thumbs or their fingers? Are they looking at you? Right? All those are pieces of information that if you're not looking at someone while the silence is happening, because you're trying to figure out a way to, to fill in the void, then you're not going to get the information that you need, right? One of the great um, quotes I did uh, had from uh, one of the people I interviewed for the book, Sir Richard Dearlove, right, said a lot of times, uh, and he was specifically talking about getting information against an, an enemy, a terrorist, or, you know, in his case, it was the, the IRA. And he, he, he says torture doesn't work. And he goes, because you get torture doesn't work because you get the information you want, not the information you need. And it ties back to everything we've been talking about. It ties back to wisdom. Right. Because if you get the information you want, not the information you need, are you truly getting the understanding of the problem? You're not. And silence provides some of that information that we tend to overlook. We try to erase with the words that we try to fill in the the silence. And in music, I, I play bass guitar, trumpet, trombone and guitar. 
And, and I remember reading once what Mozart said about silence. It's all about the silence. Music It's all about where the rest are put. He calls he calls them the kind of the the the, the foundation of music. Silence, the pauses, right? And think about the great songs in popular uh, culture or or even movies like Jaws, dun dun, dun dun, right? We remember those those pieces, even if they're short pieces, because of where the silence is put in. And the same thing in our conversations. The conversations not only are made up of the words that people use, but where they place the silences, right? And it's understanding why someone went silent and getting that and putting an emphasis on that can give you new, new knowledge about a problem. It's so many great points. And, and the whole, the, the concept of, of even the meta concept of listening to learn the idea of don't, don't listen to reply. Don't listen to, you know, get out what you want to say next. It's about listening to build understanding. And once you cultivate that understanding, it opens the, the pathway for connection. And once you have that, you, you have so much more that you can work with, so many different things that you can do. So it's, just, it's, a, it's a great point. Thanks, man. I kind of see it like a combination, right? So there's so many different combinations out there to, to, to move forward, to address a problem. Sometimes when you address a problem, you're not totally solving it, but yet you're learning, right? And, and that's also what I want to incorporate in there. Failure is okay. Failure is a part of life and you learn from that failure. And I, I think we've become a culture that's afraid to fail, but all the great innovators in history have failed more than they succeeded. But yet, their success is built on those failures. And we, we, we tend to sweep that under the rug uh, as well. And, and one of the things I, I do for students, especially the honor students, because they're all type A's and they, they think they have to succeed all the time, is I give them assignment where they can't. I want them to learn that it's okay to learn from failure. Because in the real world, as you and I both know, Matt, that's where you, you tend to learn a lot is, is through those failures. And we've created, because of our education system based on so based on tests that, you know, they didn't have in my fifth grade teacher, Mrs. Peck, that how to work through failures, right? These students are really good at jumping through hoops, but they're not good at adjusting to failures on many different levels because they never really had a chance to fail. Because if they did, they didn't think they moved up to the next level or they couldn't succeed on the next test. And the test of life, man, is so much more about failures than it is successes. But the irony of it all is that our successes are based on the failures. And, and we, we, we don't talk about that enough either. I think one of the biggest failings of our educational system is that is exactly what you described. It teaches people how to jump through these hoops, but it doesn't teach them that it's okay to fail. It doesn't teach them how to learn from the, and accept mistakes and that having flaws and imperfections and, and making errors is part of the learning process and a necessary component to getting better. Um, Without a doubt. One of the other concepts that you touched on that I, that I found really interesting was the idea of the power of non-doing. Tell me about that. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. So it's not the same thing. The power of non-doing is not the same thing as doing nothing. It's that inner reflection. It's taking time. And, and I use mirrors to, to kind of explain this. Just like we look 
and a mirror to either adjust our hair or to find that we have green if we just ate a salad in our teeth and we've been smiling right one of those awkward moments where you got this giant leaf in the front of your mouth and you know you use a mirror to kind of clean that up right to realize that you know there's something there that needs to be addressed well we don't take enough time for our internal mirrors that inner reflection taking time to take account of what we have done what we are doing and maybe what we will be doing and it's about building that internal mirror and those mirrors in the real world are not only for the reflection that I just looking at ourselves to make ourselves our outward appearances to be better, but it also mirrors are used in solar uh, panels to generate energy. They're used, right? The mirror was placed on the moon to measure you know, the length from, from earth to the moon. They're used for so many different things and we don't take the time to simply reflect and create that self-awareness that we began the show with at all to simply take 10 minutes even of your of your time and i do it right after i i, I go for a run or, or right after i work out it helps me calm down it also then brings up and when i'm running i think of a lot of different ideas and in that meditation it kind of in a way taking time to inner reflect and have that meditation it cleans and consolidates the thoughts that I have and makes things a bit clearer for me in the world. And I use people from different parts of the world to kind of explain that idea. The act of non-doing is one is taking that time to have inner reflection, but then also as a dad, it's about purposefully not jumping in to do something for another. You're purposely holding back, right? So for my son, one of my sons had a rare medical uh, issue and it turned his voice into Darth Vader type voice because he was having a hard time breathing. And when he was able to go back to school, once we got the oxygen levels back right, I wanted to go to school and kind of set the stage for his class so he wouldn't be picked on or wouldn't be bullied. And I talked to him about it and he said he wanted to do it. And as a dad, you kind of want to, your initial instinct is to kind of help your, your children in any way you can. But sometimes the best way you can help them is through the purposeful act of non-doing. I purposefully had to hold myself back so that he could go in and do it. And he did an awesome job. His teachers, you know, called us later and, and said they were nervous about it because he made jokes about being Darth Vader with it. And the kids just settled right in. He knew his problem better than anyone else, including me. And he knew the context that it was in better than anyone else, including me. And as a dad, you know, listening to that, I, I have a sense of pride for him. But also there are times where you've got to let the people that you love and you care about around you to handle their own issues. And hopefully you ask them the right questions to help them come up with ideas. And in another example, I, I talk about that, about another instance of, of, of actual bullying. But that act of not doing is not only just that inner reflection, but it's a purposeful act of allowing someone to resolve their own problems. And that's compassion because you're getting an understanding about them, not just about the problem. And so hopefully later on, I have more information that I can use to help 
not only my son, but others in that situation. We, we constantly always think we have to do something to help another. And sometimes the best act is the act of non-doing. What would be one simple actionable step somebody listening today could implement that, that you would give them as, as homework to start down the path of compassion and to implement some of the ideas that, that you've talked about today? Well, after our conversation, I'm going to give two now. <laughs> Usually I just give listen to learn, like practice listening, going and going to a friend, listening to their problem and not jumping in, not, not, not saying that you have the solution to it. Jump in with questions, not with uh, solutions. Listen to not reply. Listen to learn to them. But after you know talking with you right now, I, that understanding and wisdom that you highlighted, I think, is equally as important. Is to go out and get those different perspectives. Sit down and listen to a podcast of someone who's diametrically opposed to you, and listen for what you were bringing up before, the truths. Because every perspective, every ideology is based on some type of truth. Even if you don't want to admit it, it is. And that could be a bridge to learning about a friend or about starting a constructive dialogue, not a debate dialogue, right? Something where both parties can learn. And I talk about this a little bit more when I talk about Noxers. They're, I call them knowledge boxers, right? They're, that they, any new knowledge that's against them or their ideology, they fight off. And one of the ways that you can actually have a constructive dialogue with a Noxer, a knowledge boxer, is to actually start with one of their basic truths and agree with it. But you won't learn what those basic truths are unless you actually listen to them. So after listening to you uh, and our conversation today, I would say, you know, get down and sit down to a podcast. Maybe, you know, one of the people that you interviewed that maybe someone said, you know, I'm not going to listen to that show because I disagree with that person. Listen to them. Go through the entire episode and listen to what they're saying, not listening to reply. Because I think you'll find out surprisingly enough, and people don't do this enough, is that there is something that you agree with, with them. And that can create a bridge of understanding that we all so need right now. So listening to learn and get out there and listen to different perspectives. And Chris, where can people find you and, and your book online? So I'm a Chris Cook, C-H-R-I-S, and that weird last name, K-U-K-K.com. And you can find uh, a lot of my talks there, upcoming appearances, and also the book. But you can find the book at any any bookseller. So Barnes and Noble, the indie bookshops, Amazon, iTunes. It's also on uh, CD. It's also on audio. So the book is anywhere you can buy a book. So you can get out there and I can, if you want, you can connect with me at chriscook.com. We can have a discussion. I'd be more than happy to link up with, with, it, with anyone to have a talk about compassion. So uh, chriscook.com and any bookstore. Well, Chris, thank you again for coming back to the show and, and once again, sharing some incredible wisdom and insights. It's been a pleasure to have you on here once again. Well, Matt, I'm honored to be the first guest. It's back a second time. Thank you so much for that honor. Thank you so much for listening to The Science of Success. We created the show to help you, our listeners, master evidence-based growth. I love hearing from you. If you want to reach out, share your story, or just say hi, shoot me an email. My email is matt 
at successpodcast.com. That's M-A-T-T at successpodcast.com. I'd love to hear from you and I read and respond to every listener email. I'm going to give you three reasons once again why you should join our email list today by going to successpodcast.com and signing up right there on the homepage. The first, you're going to get exclusive curated weekly emails from us, including our Mindset Monday email, which listeners have been loving. It's a short and sweet summary of some research, TED Talks, or videos that we found really interesting within the last week. You're also going to get a chance to shape the show. That means voting on guests, questions that we ask the guests, changing key pieces of the show like our intro music, the new intro that we just rolled out was voted on by listeners like you. And if you're not on the email list, you're missing out on opportunities to do that. Lastly, and most importantly, you're going to get an awesome free guide when you sign up to join the email list. This is a guide we created based on listener demand. It's our most popular guide, and it's called How to Organize and Remember Everything. It helps you keep track of all of the books, ideas, podcasts, concepts, etc. that you have cluttered around in your mind. I know I had them cluttered around in my mind, and this system is the system I personally use to organize and remember all of my information. You can get it completely for free along with another sweet bonus guide that you have to sign up to discover what it is by joining our email list. Just go to successpodcast.com, put your email in right on the homepage, or if you're out and about and you're on your phone, you can just text the word SMARTER, that's S-M-A-R-T-E-R, to the number 44222. Remember, the greatest compliment you can give us is a referral to a friend, either live or online. If you enjoyed this episode, please leave us an awesome review and subscribe on iTunes. That helps more and more people discover the science of success. Don't forget, if you want to get all the incredible information, links, transcripts, everything we discuss in this episode, and much more, be sure to check out our show notes. You can find them at successpodcast.com by hitting the show notes button at the top. Thanks again, and we'll see you on the next episode of the science of success.